Hello and welcome to The Paul Pod, the politics podcast. A podcast made by students for students. I'm Miss Hall and today kicks off our brand new podcast series where each week we look at whatever political issue or interest students have and casually discuss and share our views on the matter. Yes, hello and welcome to the very first episode of The Paul Pod, the politics podcast. This week, our episode is entitled House of Lords. Do we really need them? In future weeks, you can expect conversations around any and all political issues, ranging from women in politics to climate change. But this week, we're kicking things off with what we've been looking at in class over the last few lessons. We know many listeners are at A-level age, and so we hope you find this lighthearted and relaxed chat beneficial for your studies, or if you just have an interest in politics, then you two are more than welcome. I'm excited to say that this week we are joined by two Year 13 students ready to give their views on the House of Lords. Do we really need them? So yeah, we'll introduce our guests for today. Um, take it away and introduce yourselves, what subject you guys study and what your dream job would be. My name's Lee Walker. I'm studying history, politics, business and English literature. And I would say my dream job would be special advisor. And I'm Emily Allen and I'm doing English, politics and history. And my dream job would probably be a solicitor. Ooh, very interesting. So very topical for this week's discussion on the House of Lords. So, yeah, House of Lords and the question this week is, should we abolish them? Do we really need them in our government? So what are your guys' opinions on that to kick us off? I think the House of Lords is an essential part of Parliament. It's a revisionary chamber for a reason. It's to hold the government account to an account in a way and to make sure that all bills that pass are good quality and that no loopholes can be found. Yeah, and they're very important due to their skills and achievements, like the peers within the House of Lords, that's necessary to make good laws, like Lee said. Yeah, definitely. So they're choosing in the House of Lords for a reason, and that reason being that they're experts. Um, not a lot of people would look at the House of Lords and say that the demographic of them is not great in terms of ethnic minority, women representation, all that kind of stuff. What would you guys kind of say to that point um, on the House of Lords? Shouldn't we be choosing the peers in the House of Lords not based on like diversity but rather their own merit and their own speci special um, skills? A 50-50 split is not natural so mm -hmm. why should we incur you? Know, it's a difference between tokenism and meritocracy which mm -hmm. we appointing people as Emily said on the basis of what they've done there's no point in bringing in a certain amount of people just to fill a quota because mm -hmm. they're not going to be functional members they're not going to be able to bring the same skills that say somebody else could bring to the table yeah so the house of lords are essential basically we're saying here because they bring their expertise and it shouldn't be based on if you meet a certain criteria or not it's just the best person for the job gets the peerage then and um, there's a statistic that 62% uh, of the House of Lords are privately educated, which is quite a lot in comparison to the UK population, which is just 6%. Okay, so it's 10 times more in the House of Lords are privately educated than that of the whole UK in general. 
But I so, believe that's a whole societal issue that people with private education can get higher jobs. It's not a House of Lords problem. It's more of like a whole system pr- problem. So should we s- remove the House of Lords just based on something that's embedded already into the system? But if, if, even if we look at that, what does it matter how they got there? It's, it's They have got there. Yeah. A vast majority of the most successful business people in the world are all public educated. You, A lot of them are... People who have picked them up by the books bootstraps and they went. Yeah, and I suppose the argument as well that you look at the history of the prime ministers in Britain, and privately educated seems to come up a lot when you look at them, and yet we're not saying abolish the prime minister. Again, prime ministers can stand on their own merit, so why can't peers? Yeah, very true. And in the House of Lords, obviously there's life peers, and that's what we're really talking about here. That you get elected based on merit for a lot of those peers but there is hereditary peers and in the news recently you know even last week there was talk about that is the main reason for getting rid of the house of lords is because of these 92 peers who are only there because of their heritage but why should that mean we should get rid of them completely maybe there should be a reform to remove the hereditary peers like there was previously um, in the House of Lords Act of 1999, they did remove most of the hereditary peers and have just left these 92. But if, mm-hmm. if by that logic, if we're going to go by the fact that hereditary peers should be removed, why, can't, why shouldn't we also remove... You know, is, is this the same thing as people who have, say, say Ian Paisley Jr., who one of his main selling points as a politician is that he was Ian Paisley's son? Yeah. You know, so is, is this not the same thing? That's very true, and... You know, well, what you said, Emily, about reforming, maybe, instead of abolishing, um, that's an interesting point, and that's been raised a lot in the news and stuff. Um, like, what, you know, what would be your personal opinion on House of Lords reform, those 92 hereditary peers? Do you think it'd be fair if we had less? I think it would be fair if we had less, because we make room for people who actually have expertise. I'm not saying that hereditary peers don't have expertise, but it's more like... Should people not be getting in, like we just said, on their own merit, not based on their background or race or gender? Hmm. Yeah. So get rid of hereditary peers, basically, to make more room for for life peers. However, I would say we need to do it as a phase them out approach and not just vote them out in the morning. Because mm-hmm. um, that just leads to a lot of disorder. And it could switch, change the balance of power yeah. currently with a conservative majority. Yeah, so it would be a, a thing that to do over a period of time rather than just all hereditary peers gone in one go. And <clears> although <throat> the argument may be made that a lot of, a lot of uh, hereditary peers are more conservative in character, a lot of them aren't registered conservatives. Mm. You know, so yes. if we're going to go for a, a bipartisan approach, mm-hmm. of, sorry, non-partisan approach, hereditary peers are there. You know, they are, they are non-partisan in that regard. Yeah. Um, yeah, the whole non-partisan thing is, is an interesting point as well that, um, you know, the Lords, one of the reasons for them being so effective is that they don't have any party ties and they can speak freer in debates and raise questions to really uh, probe the government and to scrutinise it and not have to worry about whips or anything like that. Um, the point again, just on demographic before we finish that um, point is um, the whole idea of are the Lords relatable? This kind of idea of if they're mostly men, mostly white, mostly over 70, 
mostly privately educated, do they really, do you think, understand the everyday struggles and strife that, you know, we would have as, as normal citizens? What does it matter? What does it matter to that regard? They're there for their expertise in their fields. It doesn't matter if they, if they can relate to our experiences. There are peers there who may have, um, may have understandings of uh, the black experience, uh, female experience, male experience, white experience. You know, they're there as a whole in general. They can educate on that field. Mm -hmm. However, the main, the main part about the Lords is their expertise in their fields. You know, what does it matter that uh, Lord Winston is, is a white male? Mm -hmm. He's there for science yeah. and his contributions to medicine. And you said most of them are like white males, but like some of them aren't. There is like people who came from charity backgrounds who've moved in with those expertise while, rather than just like white males who have these expertise in science or law. So it's like it is even though the majority is that more like white male, older man demographic, there is still some representation, like Lee said, for other communities. Yeah, great point. And, you know, you look at the House of Lords over the last 50 years and you look at what it was in, in the 1950s, say, and you look at what it is now and it is a heck of a lot better than it was in terms of representation. And hopefully that's a trend, you know, that will continue. And, you know, that's a, an argument that a lot of people would, would like to see happen, that it becomes a bit more diverse and a bit more rep representative of the UK. But as you guys rightly said... It's, it's the, the job of the House of Lords is not to be diverse. Yeah. The job of the House of Lords is to scrutinise and to hold government to account and to ensure ensure, ensure good legislation passes. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. how diverse they are. And like you yeah. said, that it has the diversity has increased and it probably will over the next few years when people who are from different backgrounds will get better education and get into those expertise. The issue is is that some of the peers are still from like older generations where women and people of minorities would not get that same education. So it just like as the years go on there will be more diversity within the House of Lords. Yes, yeah, a society moves yeah. on soon as everything else and I suppose the House of Commons is more of an area well it is a representative body yeah so it can be representative of the people mm -hmm. so if if we want a diverse and representative house of commons well we can vote in a rep representative and diverse house of commons mm -hmm. the house of lords is an independent body in that regard it, it isn't elected for that reason yeah house of commons are elected to represent you and the party house of lords job primarily is to check what the House of Commons are doing and to have their input and their expertise. Yeah, um, great points raised there on the demographic of the House of Lords. The House of Lords has um, this whole argument of whether it should be abolished or not. It's been in the news quite recently, actually, only last Wednesday. Um, political commentator Brendan O'Neill um, called for the abolition of the House of Lords. Basically, his argument was that peers were paying their way into the House of Lords. On average, he reckoned they were paying about £3 million to the Tory campaign, and it was just a, a white rich man's Tory club. Um, what do you guys kind of make of that argument against the House of Lords? I think that's a rubbish argument, and I think Brendan O'Neill can do a lot better than that. If I'm being completely honest, uh, every campaign is a is a pay-to-win scheme. 
You look at the presidential elections in America, nearly every president's decided by who can spend the most money. There, there are rare exceptions, such as Ed Durr, recently in New Jersey, but for the most part, whoever spends the most wins. So to try and discredit an entire parliamentary body for just spending money, it's their money, they can choose how to spend it. And the peers in the House of Lords are appointed based on their merit and you may say, you know, they might be giving cash to whatever committee is appointing them in. But really, like, I think they would have figured out, I think we would have figured out that they were not as, like, didn't have merit um, because the laws would be probably lacking quality if they weren't. Plus, if we look at, if we look at the demographic split in terms of parties... There is, there is not a clear majority, a clear Tory split. There, there is a Tory majority. However, that can be thrown up to just any, any, uh, any reason, really. But if, we, if, if there was an example of, like a systemic example of Tories paying to get into the House of Lords, would we not see a clear majority? Yeah, an overall majority. Yeah. Uh, if that was a valid argument, I suppose. And there's a yeah. plenty of wealthy people within the UK who aren't peers. So, like, would that would that just mean like everyone peers are now just wealthy people paying to get in? Many peers aren't extremely wealthy themselves. Mm-hmm. Some of them are, as we've aforementioned, uh, charity workers. Yep. Yep. No great points, guys. Yeah. Um, very interesting point. And um, Brendan O'Neill, I'm not sure about uh what facts he had to back this up, but I think we've argued that. Um, it doesn't really matter in terms of money and um, getting onto the House of Lords because, yeah, as you said, there's charity workers and um, there's people who've just made a difference in society who are in the House of Lords and that's one of the main recruitment kind of focuses as well that's based on merit. So, yeah, 100%. Okay, so we've touched on it briefly that um, the main function of the House of Lords, one of the main functions is to scrutinise, scrutinise the government, um, hold the House of Commons to account, look at different bills, all that kind of stuff. So in terms of do we really need the House of Lords, what, what would kind of be your guys' thoughts on that kind of area of, of, their, of their work? I think we do because they do do very well educated debates. Like compared to the House of Commons, theirs are always very structure, structured and like calm and it's usually everyone gets their point through and like in the house commons it's quite rowdy like some people call it a bear pit so it's really like important that we in the house of lords they do get all their points through the one thing that really struck me whenever i was over i asked a question to one of the the the, the, the ones who were taking us around they said i asked how, how how do they know when to when they're allowed to speak they don't they just they just respect each other to an extent that they just speak the and don't ho- interrupt yeah. Yeah, or the House of Commons is definitely the opposite. Rowdy. Of that. Yeah, yeah. You know, we 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 can all sit back and laugh at the the best of montages of the likes of for for Cohen, the likes yeah. of them. Um, mm-hmm. However, with House of Lords, it's a lot more refined, civilized, really British. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I I would agree, and you know, like they're they're the way they hold themselves is a lot better often than uh, what the House of Commons is like. In terms of legislation, uh, you know, well, we were talking about ping pong the other day and parliamentary ping pong, basically where a bill bounces between the two houses. You know, an example of that being the Prevention of Terrorism Bill in 2005, and it was like 30 hours over two days. 34 hours. 34 hours. It was being debated, and a lot of people would say, you know, 
is that really effective? You know, is it is it helping yes. the legislation process? Lee, yeah, you'd say yeah. The longer it takes, the better it is. That's a general rule of thumb. And that's why the House of Lords exists, is that yeah. they don't have any other obligations, really, apart from scrutiny and the legislation. Like, they don't have party ties or... They don't have constituency days. Yes, so, like, that's their whole, like, like point, is that they are meant to spend long looking at laws and using their expertise to scrutinise well. And you'd, you'd mentioned their parliamentary ping-pong. I'd argue that is an excellent example of the two houses cooperating in a, in a bicameral system. Mm-hmm. You know, it's showing that the two houses are working to better the legislation. You, we may try and hail them as being obstructionist or, or self, self-centred, but at the end of the day, with, with, two part, with two houses sitting together, one can't be self-centred without the other realising. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, if the House of Commons had a bill and sent it to the Lords and it just was agreed and passed, was that not basically just two House of Commons then? Is that yeah. not just one? It's going to be bicameral anymore. And Then we turn out like a system that uh, the Americans have with the Senate, mm-hmm. the Senate and the House of Representatives, where most of the time, if you have a majority of one, you have a majority in the other. Mm-hmm. And you can just sweep any legislation you want through, mm-hmm. which leads to heavily one-sided uh, terms. Yeah. No, I would agree. And the likes of committees as well, we were talking about them the other day and the work that they do in scrutinising the government bills. You know, as, as you said, Emily, that's one of the main jobs of the House, of a peer, you know, of, in the House of Lords is, is to be on those committees. And, you know, the five main committees, they're permanent. So the amount of expertise that they would build up in those committees is invaluable, really, to the, the legislative process in, in Parliament. Last point, before we just finish it up, um, attendance. This is always a big issue when debating whether we really need the House of Lords or not because it's debated, well, do they actually care? Like, do they actually do their job? In the 2019-2020 session, it was, on average, 352 peers showed up to debates. And we knew there's around 700, 800 peers. What would you guys kind of say to that? I would refute that very easily by saying that you do not want a technology lord turning up to a constituent constitution uh, debate there there's if we're going to talk about the expertise of the house of lords well we need to understand that not every lord or not every peer is an expert in every field i you know i, I don't want to see uh, lord dodds or the like turning up to a science mm-hmm. debate yeah you, so you think actually that figure whereas a lot of people see that as negative actually is, a, is another reason for why we shouldn't abolish them because they only go to whatever they feel confident that they can... Argue, I would argue that that's them understanding their role mm-hmm. and understanding their expertise, which is, is an important part They're of... only given their expertise system. when relevant. Yeah, unlike, I suppose, when you compare it to the House of Commons, where you show up as a number for your party and really... Party drones, you know. Yeah, that's it. You only show up to make up the numbers to get something passed. And really, is that effective? Not really, but the House of Lords allows for these kind of issues to to be ironed out. Um, yeah, great, great conversation, guys. Um, thanks so much for your input. Um, so I think we've answered this question. Do we really need them? What do we think? Final, final sentence from the both of you. Do we really need the House of Lords? If we want effective legislation, yes. And if we want the good expertise, definitely, yes. Perfect. Thank you very much, guys, for joining. And um, yeah, excellent points.
thank you so much for tuning in to this first ever episode of the Paul Pod, the Politics Podcast. Um, it's been great having you listening into the conversations. Big thanks again to Lee and Emily who um, were great in contributing their own thoughts towards the House of Lords and highlighting that they are a necessary part of our government structure. Join us next week for another political issue or topic that will be discussed and I'll be joined by two more guests who will give their view on the matter. But for now, it's goodbye from me and see you next week.